Mother Cabrini once said, if you are in danger, if your hearts are confused, turn to Mary. She is our comfort, our help. Turn toward her and you will be saved. Welcome to the 64th episode of St. Dempna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want you all to know how much the Blessed Mother loves you, how much she understands your pain and suffering because she lived through it herself, and how close she is to you in this present moment. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, the election is finally over, at least as much as it's going to be until Inauguration Day, it would seem, and I figured it's a good time to discuss detoxing from all that election anxiety. I don't know about you, but this year has been one anxiety-provoking event after another, and it's really worn me down. The election and all the stress associated with it just dropped more weight on all of our shoulders. So let's go to the Washington Post for some ideas on how to reboot. First, don't think of an election detox as a total purge. When faced with overwhelming stress, it's common to want to shut down, disconnect, and bury your head in the sand. Resist that urge to completely rid yourself of uncomfortable content. What if, for instance, you gave up just one news source to start? Would that feel differently? Play with it. Experiment. And think of it in terms of energy in a non-judgmental, compassionate way with yourself. You're getting curious and exploring what is going on to make you feel more resilient at the end of the week. Next, take stock of your existing habits like obsessing over news, doom scrolling, stress eating, not getting enough exercise or sleep. Consider organizing your habits into lists. One could be behaviors that make you feel energized in a positive way, such as making time to talk to a friend, going outside, having a good snack. The other should consist of habits you want to eliminate, trying to mentally push through a task instead of taking a break, rereading or revisiting things that are upsetting, or staying up too late. Next, reevaluate how you approach and consume media. And last, focus on personal relationships. Many relationships have been strained by this election and the increasingly polarizing rhetoric surrounding it. But experts emphasize the importance of attempting to maintain meaningful connections with close friends and family members whose positive effects on your life may be more important in the long run, or are definitely more important in the long run, Washington Post, come on, than politics. (laughs) May the Lord give us peace from all anxiety and worries. Amen. On to the next topic, some new studies are making headlines and suggesting that we might see magic mushrooms as treatment for mental health symptoms. We'll start with CNN to get the lowdown on what's going on. Oregon has become the first U.S. state to make psilocybin, the hallucinogenic compound in magic mushrooms, legal for mental health treatment in supervised settings. They have more evidence for their case with a new small study of 24 adults with major depression that published this week in the journal JAMA Psychiatry, which found that two doses of cyclocybin led to a large reduction in depressive symptoms. 
The magnitude of the effect was about four times larger than what clinical trials have found for traditional antidepressants on the market because most other depression treatments take weeks or months to work and may have undesirable effects. This could be a game changer if these findings hold up. Other studies have suggested that the compound may help in the treatment of anorexia, obsessive compulsive disorder, and addiction. So listen, I mean, there are always these kinds of stories making headlines, ones that show that illicit drugs might actually help mental health symptoms. People are fat fascinated by the idea, but I have to urge caution when getting excited by these studies because I mean, first, only 24 participants were in this study. It's not it's not even really worth talking about at this point because the in is so low. And second, while some illicit substances do tend to offer initial relief for mental health symptoms, consider um, people who use cannabis to treat their anxiety, the longer-term effects are often that mental health symptoms get worse with use. Like people who use cannabis for anxiety often say that the rebound anxiety is worse than the anxiety they were trying to treat in the first place. So, you know, keep working on those coping skills, keep forming healthy relationships, get help from a therapist and mental health professionals and doctors who can walk alongside you. That's probably your best bet. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Servant of God, Catherine Doherty. Born in 1896 in Russia, Catherine's parents were minor nobility and belonged to the Russian Orthodox Church. She was, however, exposed to Catholicism when her schooling took her abroad because of her father's work. She grew up to become a Red Cross nurse on the front lines during World War I, and when she returned, she and her husband, who was also her first cousin in full disclosure, escaped the Russian Revolution and fled to Finland and then to England, where Catherine was received into the Catholic Church in 1919. Eventually, they landed in Canada, where they had their first son in 1921. As if all of that wasn't exciting enough, what happened next in her life was what made her, what makes her a soon-to-be saint. Here's something from Wikipedia. Prosperous now, but deeply dissatisfied with a life of material comfort, her marriage in ruins, Catherine began to feel the promptings of a deeper call through a passage that leaped to her eyes every time she opened the Bible. Arise, go, sell all you possess take up your cross and follow me. Consulting with various priests and the bishop of the diocese, she began her lay apostolate among the poor. In 1932, she gave up all her possessions, lived among the multitude of poor people in downtown Toronto, and established Friendship House with its soup kitchen. She gave food to them when she had none for herself and offered Catholic education and fellowship too. She was tagged as a communist sympathizer, of course, and beleaguered by her own organization, Friendship House was forced to close in 1936. Catherine then went to Europe and spent a year investigating Catholic action, and on her return, she established the Friendship House in Harlem in 1937. The Interracial Charity Center, in addition to distributing goods to the poor, conducted lectures and discussions to promote social understanding. In 1943, having received an annulment from her first marriage, as her marriage to her cousin was forbidden in the Catholic Church, she married Eddie Doherty, an American journalist whom she'd met when he came to write a story about her at Friendship House. Serious disagreements arose between the staff of Friendship House and its foundress, particularly surrounding this marriage. When things could not be resolved, Catherine and Eddie moved to Ontario to retire, and eventually she started to serve the needs of that community. 
What eventually blossomed was a new rural apostolate called the Madonna House that now numbers approximately 200 staff workers with 17 missionary field houses throughout the world. You know, Catherine is one of the most inspiring modern Catholics you'll come across, a friend of Dorothy Day, a friend of Thomas Merton. And, uh, you know, one of her quotes still inspires me as I think about how to grow in holiness. And we're going to close out this part of the podcast with that quote. The duty of the moment is what you should do and what you should be doing at any given time in whatever place God has put you. You may not have Christ in a homeless person at your door, but you may have a little child. If you have a child, your duty of the moment may be to change a dirty diaper. So you do it, but you don't just change that diaper. You change it to the best of your ability with great love for both God and that child. There are all kinds of good Catholic things you can do, but whatever they are, you have to realize that there is always the duty of the moment to be done, and it must be done, because the duty of the moment is the duty of God. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Vanessa starts us off. I've begun to look for a family therapist to help us learn to communicate better and work through the stressful factors in our daily lives. In my search, I saw that one of the therapists specializes in faith-based therapy in addition to family therapy, anxiety, and depression. Our faith is so important to us, and sometimes my mom even suggests that our challenges would dissipate if we were more steadfast in our practice. Could you discuss what faith-based therapy is and if it's something that can help devout Catholics like us, even if some of us have fallen behind in practicing. Let's take a moment to join in prayer together for Vanessa and her family, that the Blessed Mother may guide them and all of us seeking out help, that we may experience the peace of her son and the peace that her son so desperately wants all of us to have. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I have to start by saying how proud I am to hear about your search to get involved in family therapy, to work toward having better communication as a family. You are a wonderful example to all of us. And the strength you've shown by reaching out for help is really a beautiful thing. I wonder about the term faith-based therapy because as we've explored before, there's really nothing a therapist has to do to earn this title for themselves. So it makes me think that perhaps a therapist is trying to broadcast that they are uh, competent in discussing religion and faith and the role it plays and mental health and wellness. However, it's worth noting that most therapists are comfortable with this and trained in working with individuals of different faith backgrounds and, and no faith background at all. And, and therapists are also trained in taking the time to learn from the individuals they are helping to better understand the role faith plays in their lives and to work with them to move toward wellness with all of that in mind. So as I often say, I think it's most important to seek out a therapist who specializes in the emotional struggles that you find yourself going through and to seek that out first and foremost. Then in the first session, when you're all getting to know each other and learning a little bit about what's going on and what the goals for therapy might be, 
You let them know that you're a person of faith. You let them know that faith, what the faith is, what it means to you, what the faith says about who you are and how it influences the choices you make in life, etc. And they'll go with it. It goes without saying that our faith plays a role in our mental health and our emotional well-being. And while it's important not to over-spiritualize things, it's also seriously important to remember the role of faith in our growth toward peace and wellness. Ben is up next. I had a question for you regarding OCD and prayer. I was in seminary formation for six years before having to leave due to a serious struggle with mental health issues, anxiety, depression, OCD. My OCD theme is dominantly an obsessive fear of suicide, i.e. that I will one day find myself in a situation where I might seriously consider taking my own life. I'm seeing a therapist for this, and I I did not think that my prayer was a compulsion since I was not repeating prayers to diminish the anxiety from the thoughts, but my therapist, who is not Catholic, has asked that I take a break from all forms of prayer aside from Sunday Mass as we try to figure out whether I'm using prayer regardless of what form it takes, as a way to feel certain that I won't commit suicide. And this has resulted in the feeling of being between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, prayer may legitimately be a compulsion for me, and I may need to avoid it. But on the other hand, is it not normal for anyone to pray when they feel terrified or uncertain? I would love any insight you might have gleaned from others as to how they have learned to pray while not treating it as a compulsive act. So let's all start by praying together for Ben and everyone who's engaged in the hard work of therapy for OCD, that they may find healing and wellness through the often difficult interventions. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. This is such an important question. And and of course, I need to first say how amazing you are and what an incredible witness you are for reaching out for help and being willing to work with your therapist on this. Treatment for OCD is hard work. And just that you're willing to do the work is beautiful and such an inspiration. So for those who don't know, the primary evidence-based treatment for OCD is called exposure and response prevention. And um, I'll allow the International OCD Foundation to give us a little definition. The exposure in ERP, exposure and response prevention, refers to exposing yourself to the thoughts, images, objects, and situations that make you anxious and or start your obsessions. While the response prevention part of ERP refers to making a choice not to do a compulsive behavior once the anxiety or obsessions have been triggered. So, okay, in your situation, the exposure is the intrusive thought of suicide, the thought that pops into your head and says, what if I grab that knife and stab myself? Or, or what if I take this entire bottle of Tylenol just to end it? It isn't that you want to commit suicide. In fact, you really don't, which is why it's causing you so much anxiety. But rather, that these unwelcome thoughts enter into your mind and cause you worry, make you question yourself and your intentions, etc. And so we all develop a response to these kind of anxieties. For, for some, it might be saying a prayer. It might be exiting the room and re-entering, hoping we don't have that thought again. It might be knocking on wood, turning the lights on and off, anything like that that we use to decrease the anxiety and panic after experiencing that intrusive thought. And it most certainly doesn't have to be rational. In fact, we know it isn't, which, which kind of makes it all the more 
more frustrating to deal with, you know? The question of if your prayer is a compulsion is one that only you could answer with the help of your therapist. I, I think it's natural to assume that saying a prayer may be a compulsion, but not necessarily. Like you mentioned, it is normal to pray when we're worried or stressed, just like it's normal to wash our hands when we feel like they're dirty. The issue is, does the compulsion start to make it difficult for us to function in our lives? Does it lead to us not being able to get other things done, to have peace, to enjoy life? And again, that's something you and your therapist would have to sort out. The specific question is, is it one prayer and done? Or is it praying again and again to make sure that you get the prayer just right to help yourself feel safe from suicide? That might lead us to see it as a compulsion. It's complex, though. Um, but just know, you know, we're all praying for you. And we will be holding the hope for you as you continue to make progress. Anonymous wraps us up. Our oldest is artsy uh, and has embraced her school and newfound freedom a little too well. She never felt like she fit in until she got to college and found her people, or I should say their people. Uh, I can't even begin to type that without tearing up. She recently announced to us that she is non-binary. My husband and I are shocked, saddened, and just plain lost right now. The saving grace is that she claims she still has her faith in God. She feels that God made her this way, and she wants to embrace it. I asked her about the Catholic view on this, and she said she found several biblical resources supporting it, but couldn't provide any Catholic view on it. A quick Google search myself, and I can already tell uh, that the church doesn't subscribe to a non-binary theory. So everybody... Please stop what you're doing and, and join in prayer for Anonymous, their oldest child, and everyone working through this experience that they may do it with love and compassion. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. I think it's important to first point out that this question is one of the ones I receive more than any other. So in addition to letting you know that you're not alone, I want to remind people of my most important idea for making the church a more welcoming place for those of us struggling with our mental health and just with life's stressors. We have to share. We have to open ourselves up to sharing what we're going through because when we learn to do that as individuals, as communities, as a church, we will find the support we need in others who are going through the same thing and it would be such a beautiful blessing. I also want to point out how incredible it is that she cares enough about her relationship with God to look into this idea of how the church and the Bible thinks about this topic. That really shows that you have done something right as a parent in showing how important God and faith is in our lives. So please, please know what a wonderful job you did. Next, I, I want to encourage you and your husband to reach out for couples therapy. Being able to find a place where you can openly discuss all of your emotions around this situation, to openly work on a plan to be one in your approach, and to have that objective observer, the therapist, there to help guide you and move you toward a healthy approach um, you know, to all of this can be so helpful. So I hope that you'll consider it. As I've said before, and I'll say again, Love is the answer here. Unconditional love. My thinking here is this. Your child knows, has heard, or can easily look up the church's teaching on this issue and issues like it. It's, it's there in the catechism online for anyone to see. 
And if this is where they're at, there's really no point in spending your emotional effort in explaining it again and again to them. Instead, I would share the love of Christ with them through your love for them. You know, the world that we live in is so filled with contempt, hate, criticism, and it leaves me wondering if there's anywhere in the world where we can actually experience unconditional love, because at times it it sure doesn't seem like it. And it's with that in mind as a parent that uh, I want to create that environment for my kids. And I think all of us parents want to create that environment in each of our families as well. To leave our kids with the realization that no matter what, no matter how bad the world is, no matter how critical everyone is toward them, no matter how they're doing in school, no matter how they're feeling mentally and emotionally, and no matter how they're identifying in terms of their gender identity, There will always be one place where they can experience unconditional love, and it's with us, their parents, their family, and through us, with God. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.